Hi, my name is John Gonzalez, and welcome to the Fitness Oracle. Before we get into today's episode, I want to tell you about the secret of how to drop 10 to 15 pounds and keep it off with complete ease. I've created a free three-part video series for you that explains what the three biggest mistakes people make when they're working out and limits them to the results that they're going after. I am also going to help you get all the details about how you can immediately sign up to the 21-Day Caveman Challenge, which is a do-it-for-you workout program. This has been developed by me for over 11 years of my experience as a professional personal trainer. So go ahead, put in your name and your primary email address, click the link in the show notes below right now, and we'll see you on the inside. Welcome to the Fitness Oracle, where we have real conversations with real people just like you, with real stories just like yours. And this is one of their stories. I am your host, John Katsavos. My guest today is John Nyes from Nyes Wellness. He is a former athlete that was drafted out of the University of Arizona by the Buffalo Bills in 1990. He was released the same year after four games. After three years of failed attempts at getting back in the league, he opened his, his fitness studio that he owned and operated, which was called the Power Center in Red Bank, New Jersey, for over 20 years. He closed up shop due to COVID, which has led him to become the author of two books, Punt, The True Story of John Nice, and Stronger Than Ever, Conquer Stress, Anxiety, and Depression. And he also has a new digital product called 7x7 Solution, which is a 49-day challenge. John, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, John. I'm happy to be here, and I appreciate you having me. Thank you for coming. Uh, so I actually I did a little bit of research in, uh, on your Facebook page. You've been promoting a little bit of your niece. She has a new single going on. I listened to it. It's pretty good, actually. Uh, no good. It's good. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's called No Good at Love. Uh, so how is she doing with that? She's doing great. She has uh, 50. She just hit a, a, a nice little milestone, 50,000 streams on Spotify. And she's been on a lot of different podcasts, actually. she's. I think she's landed maybe, I think, 10 or, or so uh, podcasts. And, and she's getting herself out there. She's really hustling and promoting herself and that's what it takes in this industry and you gotta you gotta really push yourself and you know she's uh, doing all that shameless promotion so but i i agree with you i think she's a, a talented little girl young lady i should say she's not a little girl i think of her as a little girl because she's my niece but she's um she's come a, a real long way for some, from some really deep and dark tragedies in her life and she's using those experiences to uh, heal and to write some really powerful music. That's amazing. That's yeah. really amazing. And it like Max, by the way, M A X X. Yeah. Uh, and like I said, like it's really good. Like her, her that single was really good. Like I actually had goosebumps listening to it. Yeah, I do the same. That's that's <laughs> uh, great to hear though from 
someone that's uh, you know definitely uh, more biased than someone like myself who grew up you know who watched her grow up so it's yeah. great to get the feedback the positive feedback from uh someone that doesn't know her <clears throat> for sure and wish her good luck for me too like uh it's 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 good i absolutely will thank you uh so again doing a little bit more research on you your entire family has been through quite a journey and it looks like they're all kind of like healers and transformational coaches when you know they went from one side to the other so can you talk a little bit about like about that sure uh, my my younger brother and i both kind of started out at the same time on that new path that we chose to go down because the path that we were on was was leading to some really dark places. So uh, we were fortunate enough to, to uh, be introduced to a, a gentleman who was a big, big influence in our lives. And it, it, it set my brother off on a journey where that took him all around the world. And he did a lot more traveling than I. I ended up uh, becoming a father. And then a few years after, uh, became a father again, and then at that point, decided to get married. And uh, the mother of my children, who is now my wife of 20 years, um, we, we uh, moved in together in New Jersey. And my brother was still a single guy, so he was able to spend a lot more time with this mentor that I was talking about. And then from there, he continued his journey, and, and he's got some wild, wild stories about traveling to the Amazon and to the Himalayas and living with monks. And uh, he's done some really, uh, he's done some uh, major healing. And he he's really uh, coming into his own right now, actually. He's, he's doing a documentary film and he's working with, he's been working with people for the last, you know, few years, but now he's really, uh, he's coming to his power, I think completely and he's uh he's really helping a lot of people doing what he's doing and then anna uh, anna she changed her name from anna to max and her her stage name is max and max uh was really really sick with anorexia and um ocd and she just was seriously depressed and anxiety ridden and my brother um, came in at the tail end and helped her. Uh, she was already working with you know therapists and psychologists, and she was admitted into a home for anorexic uh, young ladies, and and um, she did massive amounts of work. And so she has come completely full circle out of it. And like I said, she's writing these really beautiful, deep and meaningful songs that are meant to, her inspiration is to help other girls that have been abused and um, have real, you know, post-traumatic stress from whatever their, their experiences were, where they were either abused or neglected or unloved, whatever it might be. And I think so many of us can relate to those types of things. And, you know, whether it's someone is uh, projecting those types of 
behaviors on us that create those stressful situations, or we do it to ourselves with our own thoughts. And uh, it's, uh, there's a lot of, I think that we're here on earth to learn lessons from uh, most of us that is, I mean, I'm, I'm certain that there's people out there that are enlightened or here to just be teachers. But for the most, uh, most of us, I think uh, the large majority of humans, we're here to learn. And we all have our own lessons to learn. Um, but as you go through those lessons, then you can start to impart those lessons that you learned with others that are maybe a, just a little bit behind or just need that same type of uh, motivation and inspiration that, that you needed in order to pull yourself out of the, the situation that you are in. Do you think that we learn the best lessons through the, our biggest failures? Oh yeah, that's uh, that's a big, big part of it. And not only failures, but we're a lot of the things that we deal with come from stem from our childhood and things that you might not even remember. Like Anna, I keep calling her Anna. She wants me to call her Max. <laughs> Max um, suppressed, and I actually dated a, a, a young lady out in California for a few years. Uh, who was abused as well and she was molested and by her stepfather and her sister was she didn't have those those suppressed feeling memories she knew and remembered but she had a sister that was also being abused by the same guy and he she didn't remember anything until she turned 21 and it all came flooding back so, and I know there's a term for that, but I don't remember it offhand, but Anna had that same thing. And, and it, her abuse happened from the ages of, I believe, six to 10. And then when she was, uh, I believe, 14 or somewhere around there, 13 or 14, she had that same thing happen where the memory, something triggered the memory and it all came flooding back. And that's when she really got really, really sick. And that's when her anorexia kicked in. She went from like 110 pounds down to 58. She almost died. It was, it was really scary. It was a really scary time. So yeah, I think that there's uh, a lot to be learned from failure. And I think it builds a lot of character when you just keep getting, you know, just keep forging on and, and keep pushing forward and, and getting up off the ground and wiping yourself off and getting back to the grindstone and, and, and just continuing to have faith that eventually something's going to work out for you. Yeah. Uh, speaking about childhood stuff, like I know your dad, I've been, again, through, your, through the research, your dad was uh, one of the prominent NBA referees. Now, what's it like being a son of a, of a, of a guy who's, consistently on the road for a couple of months of well better part of a year yeah did a lot of traveling well my my parents had divorced right around the time my my dad got into the nba uh he was uh i believe 40 40 or 41 when he when he got hired and my my parents had been separated and then uh so he wasn't really, I wasn't living with him. Uh, but, you know, the, the relationship that I had with my dad was, was kind of strained for, for years. And then uh, in, in, there was some healing that needed to be done for me. 
Uh, I had a lot of anger and resentment towards him. And then I, uh, doing, as I developed and evolved in my own healing journey, I came to the understanding that, and this was huge, this was a huge part of my healing with, with the issues that I had with my dad, was that it's not always, someone isn't always, you're not always gonna learn from someone by their positive actions. You can always learn by someone's negative actions. So I learned a lot from my father when I shifted my perspective. And then I looked at it from a perspective of what not to do. And when I, when I came to that realization that he was teaching me all along, it, it's much easier to accept someone's flaws and not be so angry and resentful and blaming that, that type of person because it was, it was all judgmental and little did I know because he never shared with me the struggles that he had with his father and the lack of learning and guidance that he never received. So how could I have any expectations for him to be something other than who he was? Uh, because he just didn't have the skill set. He never learned. And, and this is what life is really about, is learning these skill sets in order to enhance our lives and our relationships and, and the connections that we have with other human beings even strangers, you know, if you're, if you're all banged up psychologically and, and you had all kinds of issues from childhood that you're dragging around with you, you're going to just mistreat people. You're just going to act like, uh, you know, someone that's just not a really kind and nice loving person. So I think that it's really important to learn how to approach the trauma that we experience in life and and you can always shift your perspective and your way of thinking about it and i think forgiveness is a huge part of it because we we hold so much inside of ourselves and we blame either ourselves or others and it serves you no purpose so forgiveness is a big huge part of of growth and development and i think that it's for me that was probably some of the biggest things that i needed to do was to really accept myself for who I was, forgive myself for all of my transgressions and mistakes that I made and horrible choices. And some of those choices were hurting other people. And so you build up some guilt and shame over that. And those are things that can bury you. So you have to really be aware of how you're thinking of yourself. And it's, it's really okay because you we're the, back to the, the beginning of, of me saying we're here to learn. If you're not willing to forgive yourself and to forgive others, you're not growing, you're not developing, you're not evolving. So it's really, I believe that you, it's really important that you do that. You take that approach and, uh, and don't be so hard on yourself because we're all human. We're all flawed. We all make mistakes and we're all able to change and, and make improvements. I think forgiveness is probably one of the hardest things for people to do. Uh, I know myself, it's hard to forgive some people, but anyway. <laughs> Big time. Uh, but speaking of the young lady that I, that I dated in California, uh, we were uh, separated for uh, some time and she was in Cali and I was back home in New Jersey. And we kept talking about 
you know, when are we going to see each other? When are we going to see each other? And she's like, oh, I'm going back to Michigan to see my family. And I said, okay, I'll meet you. How about that? I'll drive out. So I drove to Michigan and she says, we're going to go see my stepdad. And that's the guy that abused her. And I was like, and we hadn't had much conversation other than I knew that he had done that. I didn't know. She never really spoke of him other than that. And this was the only other time. And I said, what? You're going to what? You're going to go see him? Why? And she's like, to say hello and just to check in on him and see how he's doing. I was like, you, you, you speak to him? And she's like, yeah. I, I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. How is this possible? This guy abused you, caused all these problems that led to these really really bad situations for you. And she said, you have to forgive. You have to forgive. It'll eat you alive. And I forgave him. And I was like, and I, I was, I literally had a clenched fist behind my back. And I was so close to just knock, trying to knock this guy out. I was so angry with him thinking about what he did to those two girls. And she forgave him and gave him a hug and they talked and it was like nothing ever was wrong. And I was so blown away by the strength that she had to do that. It taught me one, one of the most valuable lessons. And, and I, I was able to, because I, when you see other people doing it, then you know that it's possible. I saw this woman uh, whose uh, son was murdered by another young man and she was in court and she said to him when he was being walked out, uh, I forgive you and I love you. And, and you know, my son's in a, in a he, my son's fine. He's with God now. So don't you worry. You just get your life right. When he was up for parole, he had no family. So she started visiting him in the hospital. She started sending him money and putting him away aside money, asking him, what are you gonna do when you get out of here? And he's like, I don't know. She got him a job. She got him hired in, in, wow. a, in, a, in, a, in a job. And then she ended up giving him a, a room in her place. And then she ended up adopting him, the wow. murderer of her son. So if that, if you can forgive that, then you can forgive just about anything. That's so true. That is so true. It brought me talk about chills. It, watching the 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 story, I was I was brought to tears. It was it was really one of the most heartwarming stories I'd, I'd ever seen. It was amazing. The that love a, that this woman had. So that is a definitely one of most. Uh, I can't even I can't even imagine something like that happening right. to me. Yeah, <laughs> and you put yourself when when you hear stories. I think it's natural to put yourself in those shoes and imagine what, how you would react to those certain situations. And like I put myself in her shoes, the, uh, my, my girlfriend, and thought to myself, I would want to kill this guy that abused me for all those years. And she found it in her heart to forgive him. And it, may, it makes more sense. And when you think about it in the real big picture, if, if we are children of God and we're we're God's children we're here on this earth making a lot of mistakes I know I did if God's going to forgive me I need to forgive myself and I think that, that that I I've always said to myself I've been so blessed that there's no way I'm not forgiven for the for my transgressions I I 
I am so blessed in my life with my family and the love that I've had and my appreciation for life that if, if there was like this vindictive entity looking down upon us saying, you're going to pay for that, mister, I would have been, I should be miserably suffering, not joyous and happy and content and living life where I'm grateful and appreciative every day. So to, to me, that's the way that we are, we grasp and understand and know that we're forgiven. Cool. So we're going to be switching gears a little bit. We're going to be going a little bit more into um, your story, where you were, what you did, and how you are now. So let's talk about your early life in football. What got you started in football? And when did you start to see yourself getting a career in football that's a that that's an interesting story because i was i loved football from the time i can remember playing it for the first time uh in the high school uh the, the yard in the front of the high school uh at the church in friends side yards backyards just pickup games Nerf football, playing tackle football with my friends. It was my favorite thing to do. I loved basketball too, but football and, and tackle football with my friends, no pads, just out sandlot ball. And I wanted to play football from the time I was as you know eight years old. And at 10, I believe it was, uh, our football league is called Pop Warner. And the Pop Warner coach was the baseball coach and one of the baseball coaches. And he saw me playing baseball and he started recruiting me. And I was like, yeah, I want to play football. And I went and asked my mom and my dad, and he was still living with us at that time. And they both said no, because I, I was a pretty good basketball player. And my dad was a very good basketball player. And he wanted me to be a basketball player and he didn't want me to get hurt. And I think also the fact that he didn't play football uh, we we had the, the basketball connection. So he they shut it down. Every year, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 years old, I asked to play football. They always said no. So I played soccer instead. And interestingly enough, it developed my kicking leg when I played out on the field for the first five, six years of my soccer career. Then I ended up playing goalie which developed the punting strength of my leg. And I ended up being a punter and a kicker when I w ended up starting to play high school football, which wasn't until my junior year. And the only reason that happened, it's a pretty funny story. We had a new coach come in my junior year and I wasn't planning on playing. And he was this imposing, big muscular guy. Like he had 22 inch arms. He was a big, strong, good looking dude. And he started, he was very smart. And he went around and asked all of the teachers and coaches and everyone, who are the athletes in the school? And he wrote down all their names and he found us and he grabbed us and he brought us into the gym and he had us play these different games like dodgeball and floor hockey and basketball. And, and he just watched us and he watched us playing with each other and competing. And he got an idea of who the athletes were and who were competitive. And he came up to me and he said, hey, son, I want you to play football for me. I said, well, I'd love to, coach, but my parents won't let me play. And he goes, how about I talk to your parents 
and I convinced them, uh, you know, you're a soccer player, right? And, he, and he, I said, how about I convince your parents to, to let you play and uh, you come play for me? I said, if you can convince them, I'm down. He goes to my mom and says, I'd like your son to be our punter and kicker. That's it. And I told him the reason why, because my parents didn't want me to get hurt. So he went and told my mom, I'm only going to be the punter and kicker. First day of practice, he goes, you know what a wide receiver does? I was like, no. And he goes, all right, you're going to run out 10 yards, cut to the right, and turn around, catch the ball. First route I ran, the quarterback threw it way over my head. I, ran, I jumped up and snagged it with one hand and brought it down. I kind of surprised myself, but I always had really good hands. And he comes over, he puts his arm around him. He goes, okay, you're going to be the wide receiver. You're going to line up over here. And like half, you know, a half hour later, he comes over to me and he says, okay, you play basketball, right? I said, yeah. And he goes, you know what a cornerback does? I was like, no, not really. He goes, okay, well, the wide receiver you were playing earlier, he's going to try to run a route. You can't touch him until he touches the ball. And so he goes, he's going to run around. You cover him. Don't let him catch the ball. So I ran back. I covered the guy. I made a play. And he goes, you're going to be our starting cornerback. And then the first game of the year, I didn't come off the field except for a uh, punt return. I was the punter, the kickoff, the kickoff. Uh, I did kickoff return. I was a wide receiver and a cornerback. And my mother flipped her lid after when she said, he lied. So she And I ended up having a pretty good game. I kicked a field goal. I had an interception. I had four receptions. I don't think I scored a touchdown, but I had a good game. And my mom was really excited. And because she had brothers that played major college, her brother played at Boston College, and uh, another brother played at a smaller school, Wagner. And her uncle was uh, seven blocks of granite, Hall of Fame, College Hall of Fame. Uh, he played with Vince Lombardi. And so she knows, she knew football. It was a big part of her life. But, and she saw all those. Uh, mentioned those that I just mentioned get hurt especially her brother Nick blew his knee out really bad bad surgery and so she didn't want me to get hurt and uh, the excitement overwhelmed her and she caved and she said okay and he she yelled at him and then she smiled and said but it was so exciting I can't wait for next game and that was it that's how it started my junior year of high school um, and I, I really had no expectations to be a punter and a kicker it just so happened I just had this really strong leg. I wanted to just play wide receiver. And so then I, I went to junior college and I played wide receiver and I was the kicker. And then I transferred junior colleges. I played wide receiver and I was the punter. And then I transferred to the University of Arizona and I didn't want to kick and punt anymore. So I ended up telling them that uh, I'm not going to, I'm not going to play. I didn't even tell them I was a kicker and a punter. And I just wasn't getting any playing time. So then I ended up revealing that I could do the punting and the kicking as well. And that's when I impressed them and earned a scholarship and went on to having a really good senior year. And then the, the Bills drafted me. So How did that feel when you got drafted by the Bills? That was a really uh, bizarre experience because, again, I wasn't expecting it. I wasn't dreaming about it. And at the same time, and all of these stories that I'm telling, not all of them, but the story that I'm telling is in my book, Punt. And it goes into much greater detail about the, the things that we're talking about. 
and it gets into some of the real, uh, you know, the, the wild times, you know, the debauchery. <laughs> and so uh, the, when I ended up um, going out there, when I ended up getting drafted, it was a surprise to me. I was being told that I was going to be drafted, but I didn't believe it because I was always thinking like I should be all American or all Pac-10. And I, I got invited to all-star games and I just couldn't, I, I, I couldn't understand what they were so impressed with because I wasn't a student of the game. I didn't really even understand what a good punter was. They kind of explained it to me, like the longer the ball hangs up in the air, the the longer the the, the coverage team has to go down and make the play. And I was like, all right, whatever. I didn't care. And so I just happened to have this really freakishly strong leg. And it impressed the NFL scouts when they came to – they came to recruit – when I was a junior, they came to recruit the senior that was the starting punter. And I was way better than him. Like, my balls were sailing way higher and further. So they were going, who's this guy? And the coach was saying, oh, he'll be, he'll be the guy next year. Come back and see him. And that's what happened. They came back to see me the following year, and I was drafted. And so I, it was a mixed emotion because I, I didn't really – I wanted to be a wide receiver in the NFL. So I was bummed about that, that I wasn't the wide receiver that I wanted to be. Uh, but it was exciting to be, you know, you're the big center of attention. You know, your, your town's all rooting for you. Your, your teammates are all excited for you. You know, you're one of, you know, only a handful of guys that, that are going to get drafted. And so it was, a, it was an exciting experience, but it was nerve wracking. And especially – uh, when I didn't have that confidence, I had a lot of confidence as a wide receiver, probably more than I should have had. Um, but I didn't have that confidence as a kicker. It was a really intimidating position to play because you get booed. And um, I got booed in Buffalo and it, it was, and the, the reporters were, were coming down on me and it was, I was a mess. It, it really, it rattled me. I was just an anxiety ridden mess. And my kick that you can't perform with anxiety like that. Like, so I was just getting worse and worse. And it was, uh, it was a humbling experience. It was really hard to wake up and, and strap on those cleats and get back out there to embarrass yourself again and again and again. It was really, it was tough. It was really tough. So you made the Buffalo Bills and four games later, they cut you. How did that what how did that make you feel well it was a it was a uh it was like a um a step-by-step -step process so what happened was there were two guys in camp competing with me and i beat them out and they 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 kept me on the roster they got cut and so after the first um game i didn't we killed the Colts? We played the uh, they were the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, no, they're the yeah maybe I don't remember if it was Baltimore or Indianapolis whatever. Uh, we played the Colts. We we crushed them and I didn't have to punt. And my kickoffs were okay. One was good. Another one wasn't so good. The next one was okay. So the punt the kickoffs were okay, um, but my, I didn't have to punt. 
but I had been I had been struggling all through the preseason. So they were they were preparing and getting ready. I'm sure they already called the guy that they brought back. His name was Rick Tootin. And so then I went down to Miami for the game two, and uh, I had a bad game. I was shanking punts and I just didn't play well. And then um, they brought Rick Tootin back and they kept me on the roster to do the, handle the kickoffs. And then the third game I played, my kickoffs weren't any good. I struggled there because I was just putting so much pressure on myself. And Rick Tootin was playing good. And so now I'm all in my head that this guy's taking my job and, and now I can't even kick off good. And then the fourth game, I had another average, below average kickoff game. And that's when Marv Levy brought me into his office. And he said, son, we're going to let you go. And it was terrible. It's a, it's a, it's a really uh, difficult thing. It's a tough pill to swallow, you know, knowing that, you know, gr- growing up in my hometown, I was, I'm a very outgoing person, so I know a lot of people. <laughs> so I was just a very friendly and charismatic and outgoing guy. So I knew so many people in high school. I played three sports. I got drafted to the NFL. So there was a lot of people wanting to know what happened. And it's not a good feeling everywhere you go. Hey, what happened? Oh, I saw you on TV, dude. Oh, hey, what, what? what's Jim Kelly like? And all the questions, it was just, it was just never ending. And it just drove me insane. You know, it made me just, I, I sunk into a pretty bad depression. It was, uh, and then I ended up leaving. I had an opportunity to, to go play for a, a world, the world league, which was a, a team in Sacramento. So I decided to go to California early and I lived with a college roommate in order to practice and train and get ready. And so I got out, I got away from the, the constant barrage of questions and, and having to remind myself of the disappointment. So it's, it's interesting. You said something that the anxiety started to get onto you when the fans and the reporters started to uh, really hammer down on you. Um, I know a lot of basketball players that come from Europe to America and they say that the Americans here, the Americans, um, including Canada as well, because I'm up in Canada, they're actually very nice compared to what goes on in Europe. Really? Because you'll get like coins flicked at you from the fans. Really? <laughs> They'll, the fans in Europe are waiting for you at your hotel when you're yeah. visiting them. They know you personally. Yeah. So it's... <laughs> How, how would you deal with, how, how did you deal with the, with, with all that stress back then? I didn't, I didn't do well. I was, I, I, I self-medicated is basically what I did. I went out every night. I, uh, I distract, I tried to distract myself. And that was part of the, that added to the problem that added to my demise. Uh, you know, just to, to give you a little background information when I, after I got drafted, it went to my head and I got very, uh, overconfident, like oh, cocky, and telling everyone, "Oh, I got, I'm, yeah, I'm drafted. I'm playing for the Buffalo Bills," and and but I didn't prepare. And going into my senior year in college, I was training as if I was going to be playing wide receiver. 
Like that was my mentality. And I trained like I was going to the Olympics. I was going three, four hours a day uh, getting ready. And it, it kind of backfired because my leg got that much stronger from all that uh, strength and conditioning. And I didn't, I didn't train like that preseason going into the Buffalo Bills. And I, I just was so – I got – you know, I was the first punter drafted – first special teams player uh, out of all the kickers and punters that year. So uh, it went to my head. I thought I was the, the you know, I thought I was the shit. I'm, I'm the main man. Like I'm the guy. And I had a great all-star game. I played in the East West Shrine game and I had a phenomenal game. I kicked the game winning field goal. I had a monster punts. All my uh, kickoffs went into the end zone for touchbacks. And that's why Marvel Levy drafted me. He saw him. He saw that game. And so it was just, I got overconfident and then not preparing when I got there, things were off. My timing was off. My strength wasn't there. Usually when I miss hit a ball, it would still go 40 plus yards, just not as high. And when I nailed it, it would go 50, 55, 60 yards. That wasn't happening. <laughs> it wasn't happening. So I was like, what's going on here? And the other thing was Jim Kelly, like to take a little bit of air out of the ball. So the balls were soft and the punter and the kicker had to use the same balls. They implemented this stupid rule. We had to use the same, all the same game balls. They, they used to let the kickers use their own ball. I could switch out the ball for that play. And I'd blow it up like a balloon. It would be worn down and, you know, it'd be your ball. And now they do it again. And that's why you can see, the ball, these guys are just crushing the ball. So it, it was a it was a disadvantage having to kick those deflated balls for me. And it was also it's an advantage for these guys now that have these great, you know, worn in balls that are to, you know suited their exact specifications. So you said you were self uh, self medicating with different types of substances. Yeah. How long were you suffering after? Or I don't think I ever pulled out of it because um, I, I continued down that same, you know, type of behavior. Uh, while, well, I, it would, it would kind of come in, in, in uh, little pockets. So I would stop and can get it under control and then get ready. But then once I got around it, like my teammates would be going out and partying and, and you can always find the wild guys on any team. There was always the, the super conservative, the religious, the non-drinking, the non-drug using group. But then you'd have these wild guys and I always gravitated towards them. And so I was always in, in college, in the pros, in the semi-pros. I call it the semi-pros, but they considered it a pro league because we were getting paid in the world league. But excuse me, um, those guys, they were going out and partying and, and more stories in the book. Like there's some wild stories about, you know, me getting caught out after curfew. And it was just ugly. Like it got me in trouble. And I think my kryptonite though was, and this stems from childhood and, and insecurity and not feeling worthy and not having any type of confidence in myself. Uh, I used my prowess with women as a source, an attempt 
to make myself feel better about myself. I was so self-conscious and insecure and, and crit self-critical and I compared myself to other people and always considered them better at whatever, smarter, better, more athletic, better looking, better body, whatever it was. So I always looked down upon myself and then I used my, uh, my conquest with women to try to make me feel better. So it became almost an addiction of trying to, to get multiple girls uh, you know, home with me or to go out with me or so I could brag about it or at least tell myself how special I am because all these girls like me. And then I was, I was shy also at the time. So I was using the, the alcohol to kind of give me those, that false sense of security and that false confidence. So it was really just a real big mess that I got myself and everything was just the stress of trying to perform, the partying, the women, you know, I had money in my pocket for the first time when I got to the bills. So I was like spending money and buying shots and, you know, let's go fly my friends in from Jersey, you know, come on up. And it was just nuts. It was the, the, for the, for the f several months that it was let, that it lasted, it was just a wild, wild ride. Oh, the other thing is, I got approached by a guy and he goes, hey, dude, you need a roommate? I'm like, yeah, I need a roommate. I'm not gonna mention his name, but he was injured. He had sold uh, shoulder surgery, so he was out for the year. He was a linebacker from Notre Dame. He was the craziest dude I ever met. And he's like, he would, he'd be like, let's go, we're going out. And we went out every night. Every night he's like, "You're a kicker, bro. You don't need to. What do you don't? You don't need sleep. Let's go. We'd stay up till three in the morning, four in the morning, and then I gotta go to practice at eight o'clock in the morning. And I'm all hungover. I'm like, ah, just wasn't. It just wasn't a good idea. That my choices I was making was really so stupid. At what point was it where you said enough was enough? Something's got to change, or I'm not going to make it out of this. That came when uh, the young lady that I spoke of earlier, uh, she, I, her and I were having all kinds of problems and she begged me to get help. And I kept denying it. I said, listen to this one. This is talk about ego. I, I, I studied my, my major in college and I didn't even graduate. I didn't even finish. But my major was a triple major of communication, psychology, and sociology. So I, I think I went to psychology class maybe, you know, 12 times. You know, and I was like cheating and paying people to write my papers. I might have wrote one paper. And so I'm telling myself that I'm a psychologist. Like, I know psychology. I studied it in college. I don't need to go to no therapist. <laughs> That's what I was telling her. I was so shot out. And she just kept begging and begging and begging. I just denied it for, the, for like the first two years. And then um, she mentioned this guy. She called him a Chinese healer, but he actually was from Vietnam. And when she started telling me the stories about this guy, they were so impressive that I, I needed to meet him. I wanted to meet him immediately. And she called and, and, and uh, made an appointment for us to go up to see him. And he was up in San Jose, California. So we got in the car, drove seven hours, and I met this guy. And uh, 
that was the moment when it, it didn't happen right away though. He said to me, um, I know you're unhappy and you don't have to live this way. There's another way I could show you. And I said, Oh, okay. I want you to show me. And he goes, okay, when you are ready, you come back and see me. And I didn't go back for like five years. And I just continued down that, that spiral downward. And, uh, there was no more football. Uh, I tried out for um, the Pittsburgh Steelers and I got screwed, I felt. I thought I was better than the guy and they cut me anyway. And so I got really disappointed because I really, I put I actually put the work in. I had a good second year in the World League and I was really taking it serious and I, I was getting the, finally getting the idea of becoming a wide receiver out of my mind. And I was like, all right, let me, let me put some effort into this and simultaneously, I was living in California. I started doing television commercials and some modeling and I was making money. And so I had that to fall back on. And when I got cut from the Pittsburgh Steelers, I moved back to California and started working as, you know, doing those, those types of gigs. And I was, I was getting, I was making some money and doing it. And, um, I ended up signing a developmental deal with 20th Century Fox and they gave me a, a bunch of money just to sit back and try to develop a show for me. And during that six month of time, uh, they didn't develop a show and I was just spending all my money and partying like, you know, there was no tomorrow. And it just got, it just got so ugly and out of control. Uh, that's when I really started sinking deeper and deeper into that depression. And that, what that, what Grandmaster had said to me was always in the back of my mind. And the experience that I had with him that weekend was so mind bending and mind blowing that I was telling the story to everyone. Anyone, I love telling stories. So I was telling everyone about this Vietnamese grandmaster that I met and you, he knew he's like psychic and he knows things and he was, it was wild. And like, it was, I was just telling it. Everyone's like, Oh, I want to meet him. I want to meet him. I want to meet him. Let's go meet him. And my brother especially wanted to go meet him. And then five years later, we finally went back and he said the same thing to both of us. If you guys want, I'll train you. Come study, live with my house. Don't worry about money. Just come and live with me and his family. And that's what we did. We would spend weeks at a time. My brother lived with him for, uh, I think it was three or six months, six months. I lived with him for a month once, uh, but normally for me, it was like weeks or two weeks, sometimes a little longer at a time. And then I'd go back home to Jersey and then I'd just travel back and forth. And then my brother would teach me anything that, that needed to be shared and vice versa if we were there separately. So did you, uh, did he teach you any form of martial arts? No, it wasn't um, uh, like katas and, and fighting techniques. It was the training that a martial arts would do. And it, it, he was a, a, a practitioner of uh, acupuncture and he knew he was a, a sixth or seventh generation of doctor of, Chinese medicine and herbs and acupuncture. And I, I seen him cure cancer, AIDS. Uh, he was just 
a woman that came there with inoperable brain tumors. She's still alive today. That was, you know, 15 years ago. Like the guy was, he, he, he made a hernia that I had, a groinal hernia with needles go back inside my body. It retracted into my body. And he said, it's going to stay for 10 years. It'll come out in 10 years. And oh, like to the month, it popped back out. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah, the guy, was a, the guy was the most impressive human being I've ever read about, never mind met. And uh, there's a, a group, of, there's a book uh, called the, uh, the Life and Teachings of the Masters of the Far East. They sound like him. Mm-hmm. The, the, these American scientists went over to the Himalayas and spent, I don't know, six months or a year living and observing these monks. And they had similar powers. And it's, 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 it's really, it's remarkable to, to think that, you know, we human beings have the capability to become like superhuman. And he did, he was, he was superhuman. And I, I understand the work ethic and the, the discipline and the uh, amount of time and repetition that it takes uh, to become that person. Like the Shaolin monks are well-known. They're becoming more and more well-known. And he had that ability. The Shaolin monks uh, are great representatives of that type of work ethic. We're talking eight hours a day, every day for 10 years. So it's like Cirque du Soleil is another thing. Those, those athletes and performers, they train for eight hours a day for years to be able to do the things that they do. And when you watch them, you, you just, you're in awe. You can't imagine that they're capable of doing those things, but they couldn't do it five years ago, uh, 10,000 hours before, you know, minus 10,000 hours of, of practice. And it's all about what you're willing to put into a skill set that's going to determine the outcome. And my, for me, as a perfect example, I had this incredible gift. I was blessed with this incredibly powerful leg. And I, if I put in the time and the energy and the effort, I could have been uh, one of the all-time greatest ever. I just didn't do it. I didn't put in the time, the effort, and I chose to, to live this wild life of, of partying and chasing girls and, and being, you know, juvenile and immature and, and self-destructive. Yeah, I, I've always believed that uh, our ancient ancestors had a certain specific knowledge that we have lost. <clears throat> because if, if we've been able to uh, build on their knowledge, like uh, the ancient the ancient um, ancient Greeks used to have uh, healing temples, the Egyptians had uh, a form of reflexology that has gone missing. The, I interviewed somebody last week, and he was doing some uh, ancient Irish uh, healing who's had some crazy, crazy, crazy results out of it. And I listened, I listened I was, to that podcast. Oh, you did? Yeah, he, he reminded me a lot of Grandmaster. Yeah. They had and, very similar. Like Grandmaster, you'd walk in the room, and he'd know, he'd know everything about you. Yeah. I'm th- and I'm talking about specific details. Like, oh, John, uh, you had Raisin Bran this morning, and three days ago, you smoked marijuana with your friend, and four days ago, you made love to a woman, she had menstrual cycle, and, and you're like, what? And it, 
the, the way, like he, it, it, there's a, there was an explanation from him at least, uh, how he has that ability. And it's through, for him, it was through meditation. And he had, he, he had what he called keys to the universe. And through practice and meditation, three hours to four hours a day for years, you, you get rewarded with those keys. Mm -hmm. And in that meditation, did you learn any special breathing techniques? I know you have in your seven by seven, some key uh, breathing techniques that you introduce. What are they? Uh, the, the breathing techniques are associated with exercises that he taught me. And so there's uh, the, the, the 7x7 solution, which is the 49 day challenge. It's comprised of implementing these seven disciplines into your life. But the exercise component is three exercises that you do every single day for 49 days. You cannot miss. And he said to me, when he introduced me to the, the one exercise, he said, if you do this exercise the way that I show you, you'll be the strongest you've ever been in your life. And I instantly equated that to my 335 pound bench press and my 450 pound squat. And it had nothing to do with physical strength. It was mental strength and energy. And so being an acupuncturist, he, he understood and mastered the energy of the body and understands how to manipulate energy through his needles and through herbs and through steam room with herbs that you're breathing in and also um, through exercise. And so he taught me, I would say, um, roughly three dozen exercises that are um, either deep inhalation through the nose with an exhale through the mouth, a quick in and out nose mouth, or quick in and out um, through the mouth. And I know that's called Kundalini breathing in yoga, fire breath. And there's, but the, the, the special um, quality about these exercises is the position that you put your body in that allows the energy to flow freely throughout the body while you're taking that inhale and letting that exhale out. And so that's the, 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 the technique is the movement combined with the inhalation. So it's not necessarily anything special about the breath. It's just either a deep breath or a quick breath. Um, but it's the movement that is the special, the special part of that. It's in, that's interesting that you say that. So what you're saying is you're, you're trying to connect your movement, your body movement with your breathing. Right. We so for example, for example, there's what, and there was no names to any of these exercises. So I named them all. So the power kick the, we started every day with kicks and we did hundreds of them. He did thousands of them. He claims, and I believe anything this guy said because the physical um, examples that he shared with me were unlike anything that I've ever seen and probably will ever see. And when he said he did uh, 3,000 kicks every day without missing for 10 years in a row, I believe him. And the kick... I was doing like 600 a day. I did 3,000 one day and I, I could barely walk the next day. I literally like 
shuffled outside to do my, he wanted me to do 10 days of 3000 in a row. I did the first day and that was it. And, and he never even mentioned it. <laughs> like he, he knew I just didn't have that mental toughness, you know, like 600 was more than enough for me. And, um, but it's an, the inhale of the kick. Um, so when, when we're standing all day and sitting, we're, our, our body's vertical and we breathe in and the energy comes into the body and it goes into the lungs. Some of it stays and some of it goes out with the exhale. So the energy that stays, he said, sunk. It would sink into your pelvic floor throughout the day. And so what happens is the kicks, the, you, you kick and you inhale simultaneously. So the inertia of the kick with the draw of the breath pulls the energy up, pushes and pulls, pushes and pulls, pushes and pulls, kick breath, kick breath. And so when you do hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kicks, you're, you're bringing that energy up into the chest cavity where all your organs are. And so you're bringing that vital chi into a place where you need it. And then he said, if you do enough of the kicks, that energy will even rise up to your head and bring it to your brain. And so, and then after the kicks, you do a punch and you're doing punches in a, in a horse stance, which is a deep squat. And you're breathing in and out, in and out, in and out. And that's swirling the energy. It's creating this, you know, this force of energy inside of you. And then the lunge walk, I call the pendulum lunge walk. That's the one that sends the energy all the way through and around the body from your fingertips to your toes and all around. <clears throat> so it was, uh, it was profound to say the least, uh, the experience that I had uh, going through the first time, going through the 49 days, and I've probably done it. I'm actually right in the, uh, at the end of, an, of, of one right now. Uh, I'm probably doing it for the sixth or seventh time in, since I've met, since I learned it. And uh, at 53 years old, I can honestly say uh, I just I'm blown away by the the physical results, the mental clarity, the it's just it creates such a shift. I'm mad at myself for taking so many years to do it again. Like I, I hadn't done it. And I, I can't remember the last time I did it. it had to have been at least five years ago. And I'm so mad at myself for not doing it sooner because I, I, I'm, I'm on day 42. Tomorrow will be day 42 for me. And I honestly, I, I, feel, I feel the best that I felt in five years. I feel amazing. And despite the coronavirus and the stress, I, I ended up like closing my businesses, um, my, my uh, brick and mortar shops. I'm struggling financially. I'm, I'm, I'm going into a whole new unknown world of digital marketing and stuff. Um, I'm working like this crappy sales job. I'm writing books with a, a partner. I'm creating a program with another partner. So I'm like stressed out of my mind. So when Corona hit, I'm like, I don't have to go to work. Like I don't have to drive to the same place I've been driving for 20 minutes. Every, you know, I drive 20, 25 minutes every day to the same place for 20 years, six, seven days a week. And now I don't have to go. And I was like, oh. so I just kicked back 
and I and and my wife drinks a glass of wine every. She's a nurse, so she has a very stressful job, especially with Corona. So she comes home and has a glass of wine. So I don't usually drink unless we're out celebrating or going to a party, and I'll have one. I just stopped really getting intoxicated, and I'm such a lightweight now. Like I get a, a nice little buzz from one drink. If I have two, I'm like woo, acting silly. So. I started drinking, you know, I'd have one, two, three, I'm having three. And then, and I'm doing it like for days in a row, weeks in a row, it became a habit. And I never, I hadn't done that. And I, I can't even remember when 20 years ago before I had kids and um, I gained weight. I was eating crappy too. I was sitting around. I lost, I stopped living the seven. That's what I call living the seven, the, the seven disciplines. I stopped living the seven. I did a little bit of this and a little bit of that. I rode my bike, took a walk at the beach. I did a little push-ups here and there, but I wasn't training hard like I normally do. <clears throat> and I slipped into a really another dark place. I got depressed. Um, I wasn't sleeping as good as I usually do. I was grumpy during the day. I, I was napping, which is something I never did. And I just felt horrible. And uh, reintroducing myself to it was, a, it's a gift. It really is a gift to give yourself. Uh, it is, and I'm gonna be starting the seven soon. So expect, <laughs> expect another testimonial from my end. <laughs> um, the reason why I wanna push so much on the power of breathing is because I've experienced it myself. Like I practice the stemma. Uh, it's Russian martial arts. And the big thing that we do is breathing and we can control. Um, have you, have you been able to find that you can actually control fearful, fearful situations that you can find yourself in just through your breathing and connecting your movement with that breathing? Um, it's, it's very interesting that you say fear, because I think that those, those of us that are here to learn these big lessons in life, uh, they vary. You might have to deal with loss. Uh, another person might have to de deal with uh, physical trauma. Be they got beat, their dad beat the shit out of them every day for 10 years of their life. You know, another person might have to deal with uh, having low self-esteem. For me, I had, I had low self-esteem, but I also had a, uh, paralyzing fear from the time I can remember. My earliest memories were fear, fear, fearful ones, afraid of the dark, afraid of the monsters under my bed, afraid of getting on the bus when I was uh, in kindergarten, when my mom, five years old, and my mom's telling me, you got to get on that bus, petrified, meeting people, social anxiety. I had all of that growing up. I was extraordinarily self-conscious and insecure. And they, that, those fears compounded as I, as I got older. And I don't know what to attribute it to because I immersed myself in everything all at once, but my fears completely dissipated. And I would have to say almost completely disappeared. I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not like, I'm not gonna claim that I have zero fears. Like, of course I have, there's cautious, like there's, you know, if the, the thing that I'm fearful of is, is, is the unknown. That's like, wow, you know, I, I, more curiosity than fear. I'm, I'm anxious and curious 
and I'm so impressed by creation. I'm blown away by God's work. I just can't, I can't even begin to fathom the enormity of that power and what that is. You know, just the, 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 the sunrise and the sunset and the moon and the tides, like nature, trees, my hand, our hands. Just think about what these things can do. The creations that come from these things, the work that they can do, the healing that they can do, the pain that they can inflict. If you clench it or if you grab, you know, you can, you can hurt, you could take someone's life with this little teeny invention. I couldn't invent this thing. <laughs> so the, whoever's responsible for creating that thing is a super genius, you know, way beyond anything that I can even begin to fathom. So I'm just, uh, I don't know what it is, but breath definitely is a huge contributor to having, uh, brought my fear level way down to a, a very manageable uh, position in, in the chart. What are some tools that you could use to introduce uh, breathing techniques when you start to f start to see that fear come in? I think that there's uh, the best thing to do is to recognize that we're, we're shallow breathers. It just, it's a, it's an, autopilot you know you don't have to think about taking a breath it just naturally happens but that breath that you take is a shallow breath and the magic happens through deep breathing so becoming mindful of your breath and especially utilizing it as a tool is again a beautiful gift that you can give yourself and it honestly i the only time that I would say that I get elevated in an emotion other than joy and excitement and those types of things where you don't need breath, you're, you're just on top of the world. I'm talking about the negative emotions is when I get into a situation with my wife where we're fighting or arguing and I get, you know, really worked up and I, I get, uh, you know, anxiety and, and I'm shaking and trembling and I'm, I lose control. So my emotions are, are just going berserk and I lose control every single time. I, I excuse myself. I tell her I need a break. I go for a walk. I go outside. I take deep breaths. Within minutes, less than five minutes, I am perfectly calm again. I'm thinking about things from a different perspective. I recognize the flaws and mistakes that I made within the conversation and I'm able to go back in as a different person. So it's, there's so many things that can become manageable through breath. And I think that stress and anxiety and anger are three of the biggest that I think people can use. Uh, and it's really just about recognizing or not recognizing, but paying, excuse me, paying attention to what you're doing. So you're, you're, you're in, with the intention of, all right, I don't feel well right now. I'm suffering from anxiety. I'm suffering from a overwhelming depression or I'm angry. I'm going to take 10 minutes. I'm going to just go find a quiet place. I always recommend being outside. Fresh air and nature has an awesome ability to, to calm you. So go outside and then focus on that sensation. Feel that air entering the nostrils.
going down and through the throat, expanding the lungs, filling them up as much as you possibly can, and then noticing that air leaving your body and the sensation that goes with it. And just when you are focusing on that, it quiets the mind and it distracts you from whatever it was that was causing the disturbance in the first place. That's amazing. Um, that's actually more like uh, like a little bit of Uh, that's amazing. Um, that's almost like a message to myself because uh, today I've been having a little bit of a weird, weird day today. Preparing for this uh, interview, I haven't had a chance to go outside. So after, I guess I'm going to go out and uh, start to take a deep, some deep breaths. <laughs> I also listened to your, what do you call them, Tuesday tips? How to Tuesdays? How to Tuesday. I listened to your How to Tuesday moving with breath and i was i was very uh i was excited when i i when i heard it because i was like oh this guy gets it he understands exactly where where i'm going to be coming from so it was cool to to hear you talking so i'm actually grateful that you actually think that um you know uh that my movement and breathing that i get it because i actually do because that's the one thing that we actually really push in sistema is connecting your breathing we have one exercises um where you lay down on the ground and as you inhale you make your a part of your body aware so you by introducing tension and then relaxation so like you inhale you only tighten up your fist and then you exhale and you completely relax your fist and we move through different parts of different parts of uh so your book punt true story of john niece yes how did that come about um well I, during my training with uh his name's grandmaster mock dom uh he when he and i were were training together he said to me uh, you know, you're going to have an opportunity to share what I'm, what I'm sharing with you. And you're going to have to, um, you know, figure out how you're going to get your, your message out. And so I had, like I said earlier, I'd been in Hollywood a little bit at the time. So I decided I, I was going to write a movie about it. So I ended up writing this movie and um, Grandmaster said, uh, and I spent like a year on it. I was all excited. And he goes, no, 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 no movie. Book first. You might write book. And I was like, write book? I'm not a writer. What are you talking about? So I was like, all right. So I started writing and I wrote this book and a good buddy of mine who's way more talented than me as a writer, his name's uh, D.P. Botachevsky, He's the author of, of Punt. He read that book and he said, we can make this so much better. And so I said, let's do it. And so he and I spent the next four years on the phone sharing stories and going back and forth over you know, different, the dialogue from the stories. And, and uh, we came up with Punt uh, all those years later. And, um, then I decided, uh, you know, the movie will hopefully come 
you know, later. I, we've already, I, I actually had um, the, the, one of the first five people that read the book, a high school buddy of mine, his neighbor is a, a, a filmmaker and he loved my book and he gave it to him and the guy read it and wanted to make it into a movie. But uh, he's not, you know, he, he, he doesn't have any successful films and it's just, you know, it's one of those things where I'd rather wait for something better to come along. But it, it was it was very reassuring that like one of the first 10 people to read the book wants to make it into a film. So I figure once the book gets out there and thousands of people start reading it, it'll fall into the lap of the right person that, that wants to make it into, I see it more as a Netflix series and as a, a movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, so hopefully one, one of these days uh, that will, that will become a reality. That's awesome. Uh, you also have another book that is, I, I'm not sure. Has this book come out yet? It's coming out right here on your show. Oh, perfect. Stronger <laughs> than ever. A Conquer Stress, Anxiety, and Depression. How did that come about? Um, that was something that happened when I was in my brick-and-mortar uh, gyms, fitness studios, the Power Center. I was offering a, um, a, a 49-day challenge. I called it the 49-Day Warrior Challenge. Uh, we have since changed the name to the 7x7 solution. And I decided that these experiences that people were having and the experience I was having were so profound, I felt like it needed, uh, the, the methodology needed to be explained. And so Punt is more about my backstory and my demise and then, you know, falling you know, from fall from grace, meeting the mentor, and then changing my the trajectory of my life and, and you know, the happy ending of, you know, finding peace and uh, self-love and, and all those good things that come with it. Um, but as I was uh, pushing uh, or promoting my, before DP and I worked on the book, I had been trying to get published with my original transcript and a woman that was training with me said, you need to write the methodology book first, and then you need to back it up. You know, that's good. you're putting the cart before the horse. So then I went back to the drawing board and I wrote a book called Live the Seven, which has now become stronger than ever. And once DP worked his magic with the original transcript of Punt, I asked him if he would work the same magic with the original transcript, which was called Live the Seven. And then we ended up changing names, the titles and everything. So it was, um, it's been years and years and years in the works, but they're finally here. And uh, so Stronger Than Ever is, is the methodology and a little bit of the backstory and punt is the whole story about how these uh, seven disciplines became a part of my life and, and helped change my life and others as well. Awesome. Awesome. I actually subscribed to uh, Stronger Than Ever and I put a order in for punt. So I can't wow. wait to read those two books. Awesome. I appreciate that, John. Thank you. Uh, so we're, we're coming close to the end of the show. And I always ask my guests these seven questions um, just to get your insights on everything and sure. what's going on today. Uh, with the increase in suffer with the increase in people suffering from depression from the lockdowns. 
what would be the one thing that you could tell them to keep their hopes up? Ooh, keep your hopes up. Well, I think that um, for, for me personally, the thing that, that I would say brought me back to a place of peace and comfort and contentment was faith. And the, the, the faith comes, for me, it came with implementing these seven disciplines into my life. And it reminded me uh, that we're not these physical, we're not just this physical body. We are, we are a spirit, we are a light, we are an energy. And I believe that that light will never extinguish. So knowing that no matter what happens, no matter how bad of a situation comes into your life, it's going to always be okay. You'll always be, if you believe, you have to believe, if you have the faith that no matter what, you'll always be taken care of and protected despite the hardships that you're going to have to go through. Uh, it, it quells, the, it takes the edge off of, of whatever that thought or those feelings that you're having. So I would say that faith and, and believing that, that everything's going to be okay would be my number one go-to for that. Awesome. Where do you see uh, nice well, wellness in the next five years? Uh, nice wellness? Nice. Um, I, I'm just re I just really want to help people feel better. And I've seen it help people. I've had, I've had many clients over the years. I had an employee. Uh, her name was Rita. You can see her testimonial when you go. Oh, by the way, the, the Stronger Than Ever book is for free. So if you go there, um, if you go to the 7x7 solution link, you'll see a testimonial by Rita and another testimonial by Mark. Um, Rita, her story is so, it blows you away. It's so impressive what that poor girl went through. She lost her father. Uh, he, he suffered a long, miserable, slow death to brain cancer uh, for eight years. This poor girl watched her dad slow, you know, slowly pass away in front of her eyes. And she was so traumatized from it. She was on all types of medications, suffering from anxiety and depression and stomach issues and all kinds of health issues. And she completely turned it around by living the seven and immersing herself into the challenge. She loved it so much, she did it twice uh, with very little time in between. And it's, uh, it, her story is very impressive. Um, but you know, that's, that, that's what drives me, like knowing that, that someone like Rita that was suffering, you know, such a, a, a major loss and feeling so down on herself and, and hopeless and suicidal, uh, for her to be able to turn that around. I know so many people are suffering Today, uh, we're, there's so much hardship happening. Before COVID, there was millions and millions and millions of people suffer, suffering all around the world. So uh, I just believe that, that this, these disciplines have a way of empowering you to be able to deal with any adversity that comes your way. I really believe that. And so my objective in the next five years is to just share this uh, you know, the, these stories and, and the 7x7 solution with as many people as possible.
That's awesome. How about you personally? Where do you see yourself in five years? Five years, I see myself in the Blue Ridge Mountains of North Carolina on a place called Niceland. And Niceland is going to be a place where people can come and visit. There'll, there'll be uh, equine therapy. There'll be horses there. My daughter, my oldest of four children, is uh, an equine. Uh, she's been working in equine therapy for many, many years, and she'll be running the barn. And my wife uh, was once a yoga instructor, and I expect her to get back into tip-top yoga shape. So I'll be running the, the 7x7 uh, part of the of the you know the 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 uh, the Shangri La that I'm going to be building down there, and we're going to be in, going on hikes and swimming in some cold water and just enjoying life and watching the sunrise and dancing around a fire and going into sweat lodges, and uh, I just see a lot of people visiting and and all are welcome, and it's just going to be a place of love and kindness and healing and. And that's, uh, I've been called to uh, the mountains of, uh, of North Carolina down by Asheville. And that's where I plan on building this. So that's the, that's the dream and the plan for the future in the next five years. Sounds amazing. Really does sound, sound amazing. You'll be one of the first to be invited down. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> um, if you could pick up the phone right now and call yourself at 20 years old, what would you tell yourself? Dude, wake up. What are you doing? <laughs> uh, you know, my, my, brother, my brother said something in, a, in an interview recently, and I got I, I to gotta say the same exact thing. I would just tell him to stay strong because I don't want to change anything. I am the person that I am today because of the struggles that I went through. And I often think back and say to myself, man, I could have set myself up you know, my family and our future uh, with, with, you know, an incredible lifestyle if I just had just taken the, the gift and, and worked on it, the leg. And I could have had a hell of an NFL career and made millions of dollars, but that wasn't meant to be for me. And I went down that path for a reason, and I met Grandmaster for a reason, and I implemented the seven disciplines for a reason, and that reason starts with with it started in the brick and mortar, uh, but I was only reaching a handful of people because it was, I was just consumed in my business and I wasn't thinking bigger. And, and, and now I'm finally thinking bigger and with, the, with the, the resources that we have now with this technology, I can take on you know thousands and thousands of clients at a time and deliver things digitally and talk to people through Zoom and these types of meetings. Uh, so there's no reason why I can't help, you know, many, many, many people to, to feel better and to, uh, and to nip that, you know, get control over their anxiety and depression because it's, it's unnecessary suffering. It really is. Yeah. You kind of answered the, my next question was, was uh, looking back, would you change anything? Yeah. So two for one. <laughs> two for one deal. <laughs> uh what keeps you up at night nothing i sleep like a rock <laughs> i'm like i hit the bed and i'm dead i'm out like within five minutes my wife it drives her crazy because 
my my wife has a little bit of it. She's been sleeping good lately, but uh, you know she gets a little bit of uh, you know night uh, insomnia. And uh, but uh, yeah, I sleep like a baby. Uh, the thing that that preoccupies my my mind though that does keep me awake is excitement. And when I get excited about something, when there's something really you know big that's going to happen the next day. Uh, I have a hard time sleeping, but, uh, you know, it's all good. I, I don't, I usually don't have, um, my wife keeps me up is what keeps me up at night because she, and she gets so mad because she wants me to take on a little bit of the worry. And I, I apologize. I just don't have it. I'm not worried. I'm, I, I, I don't worry. I have, I have, I have concerns and I take precautions but I just don't worry about it. I believe no matter what, like I said earlier, it, it's going to be okay. Everything is going to be okay. You can't carry that stuff around with you. It just, it, it just takes up space in your brain that, that you need for other things that are more positive. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and where can people find more about you? Uh, so the, uh, the two sites are the7x7solution.com, which is uh, the numeral seven, uh, T-H-E-7, the letter X, 7, solution.com. And that's where you can find the 40, sign up for the 49-day challenge and find out more information. And then the other uh, is uh, strongerthaneverbook.com. And uh, that's where you get a, a copy, a free copy of the book, Stronger Than Ever, uh, Conquer Anxiety, uh, Stress and Depression, Seven Disciplines for Seven Weeks. That's the 49 days. And um, those are the two spots right now where you can uh, find out more. And for everybody listening, we will be posting all his links in the show notes below and on any social media platform where we're, where we're posting, uh, where we're going to be advertising this uh, podcast. So you have access to John and his two his, his, his amazing program and his two, his two amazing books. Um, any final thoughts? Uh, no, I just want to say thank you. And, and uh, I'm grateful uh, for, for you and, and for spending the time and to, and to sending out such positivity into the world. Keep doing what you're doing. Uh, people need to hear it. And uh, you're, uh, you're doing a great thing. So uh, I'm just blessed and feel honored to be here with you. And this is my first podcast. So uh, the cherry has been popped and I'm looking forward to, to uh, getting out to the world and meeting people and, and sharing uh, some hopefully uh, helpful information that could improve uh, people's lives. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Uh, I appreciate Thank you. First and foremost, thank you so much for agreeing to come on to my show. It's, uh, it really has been my honor actually to have you on as a guest that for your entire journey, which is so unique that a lot of people, they just see, um, they like for professional sports athletes, what they see is just the end product. Right. They don't see what, you know, led up to them getting there, all the hard work that's being put in and what happens to them after, Yeah, you know, and it's, it's not just getting cut. It's like, okay, you know, a sport athlete gets a massive injury. That's, right career threatening and ends their career what happens after so i think it gives such a great different perspective to the human aspect of somebody who's made it to the big leagues and what happens after 
So yeah. I appreciate you for coming on and sharing your story. It's so inspiring. Oh, thank you, John. It was my pleasure. And that's exactly what Donald D.P. Botticevsky, the author, he wanted to do. He wanted to, that's exactly uh, his mindset going into writing Punt was that same sentiment that you just said was what happens to the athlete when they don't make it? And uh, it, what happened to me was, was uh, you know, it's worth, it's worth writing a book about. So go get the book and, and read it. And I'd love to hear feedback and, and connect with people. So reach out to me, uh, you know, uh, and, and find me however you want. And I would love to just hear, you know, what people think. And I'm here to answer any questions and, and to share anything that I can in order to help. Thank you again. Um, going through hard times is just a test. What you need to know is that when you get out of whatever you're going through, you will be stronger than ever before. And you don't need to go through it alone. Always know that you are not alone. Stay tuned for more real people with amazing stories that are just like yours. Until then, to everyone out there listening, I wish you a good morning, good afternoon, or a good night, wherever you may be in this crazy world. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share this with your friends and family members. If you know of someone who is suffering from depression, please share this with them as well, as it may help them realize that there is help out there and that they are not alone. Also, please be so kind and give us a five-star rating on wherever you may be listening and some comments as your feedback is highly appreciated. Thank you again for supporting our mission to speak out and find solutions about men's mental health issues. And stay tuned for more amazing stories from real people that are just like you.